0: Welcome. We're glad that you're here. My name's uh, Kevin Howard. My job here, my role, and I love it is executive pastor, so I get to set the table. I'm setting the table today for Lene. You get to hear from Lene. How many of you guys know Lene? A lot of you do, right? Yeah. And it's a treat. And Lene's over, our, uh, basically over all our disciple making, and she just does a wonderful, wonderful job. So I'm going to set the table a little bit and do a review, and she's going to jump in and, and lead us through this. It's going to be exciting. Saul, Ecclesiastes, it it takes uh, 32 minutes to listen through. That's it. I want to encourage you to listen to it. Keep listening to it. You know, yesterday I did for a couple days, and I just want to do a little review to kind of get us a good foundation to head into this uh, piece. It's really about the benefits of relationship, the benefits of companionship and friendship and disciple making. And and we know where we've been. It's uh, Solomon, the wisest man ever on earth, even to this day, had... Unlimited, in a sense, power and and position, and he had pleasure, and he you know he had everything at his beck and call, and he keeps telling us over and over again. Without God, all that is what? It's meaningless. It's meaningless, right? It's like living under the sun. It's actually like chasing the wind. And if you've ever tried to chase the wind or catch it, you just can't. And so we're I'm like Solomon, right? I I always for a long time said that, you know, God, I love you, uh, but you're not enough. I need something else. I need to add something to it that will really bring satisfaction, and we know that it never fills that hole in our soul because only God can do it. So I want to take a review on this. And on week one, this is what we talked about. The truth of the matter is that we all have the potential to stray off course like Solomon did, don't we? We all have the potential, and this is what it looks like, and this is what it looked like for me. You guys know my story. I've strayed off course. A couple times, thanks for welcoming me back, and I'm glad that God welcomed me back. But we say it can never happen to me, right? I said that. It can never happen to me. Well, it can happen to you, and if you're caught in a sin right now, it is actually happening to you because Satan wants to kill you and drag you off. And it's only one. I hear that a lot. It's only one. Us addicts love to say that. Well, it's not one. It's a 100, (laughs) or it's 50, or 30. You know what I mean? It's never just one because once we have a line that we set and cross it, we move the line, and then it's more and more. And then I can handle it, right? That's a good lone wolf, right? I I can handle it. Well, we can't. We know that Satan wants to separate us, as we'll see today. And when he does that, he kills us. He kills our heart and our relationship and our hope. You know, we're in a time where he kills our hope. And then that rebellion that kicks in, that can kick in, we looked at that, uh, I'm going to do it anyways, Regardless of everything that I have, I'm just going to do it anyways. And then at week two, we looked at our post-Christian culture. James did a great job on that. We want to talk about that more. We are in actually a post-Christian culture right now that's chosen to leave God behind and put the trust in pleasure and riches and security. That's a culture we're in. We're in a culture where our beliefs right now that we believe in Jesus Christ and we're followers of Jesus Christ, the Jesus that lived on earth, and was buried and resurrected and sits at the throne of heaven right now, the right hand of God, um, if we believe that, we're considered hateful. And and it's increasing. If we believe in that, our positions are backwards. In this post-Christian culture, if we believe in what we believe in, that we're considered intolerant and we're considered hateful. We talked about that. That's the culture that we're in now. So what does it look like? For us to be light and salt in this type of culture. And it's a reality. And then week three, we looked at, here's what Solomon said. So I came to hate life because everything done here under the sun is troubling. Everything is meaningless like chasing the wind, right? Pleasure, riches, and we've all done that in one way or another. You might be doing it now where we chase this stuff and we think it's going to satisfy. And Ecclesiastes strongly tells us because this guy had it all. He had the best pleasure and the most money and the most wisdom and the most power and resources, and it didn't satisfy. He tells us over and over again it's meaningless. You and I were created by God for God. Psalm 139 says about every single one of us, before time, God knew you. He picked your parents. He made you and created you and shaped us and designed us. And it was good. And it was that we can bring him glory. And so when we're seeking and searching, it never satisfies unless we're inviting God, unless he's first. In week four, Shane did a great job and talked about there's a time for this and there's a time for that. All kinds of seasons. We're in seasons right now, but there's always a tension in a season. Are we going to invite God into that season, right? Or are we going to control it ourselves? Are we going to invite God in and let him lead it? Are we going to surrender? Are we going to trust God? The season that we're in, we're all in one right now. The Bible tells us that that's where we live till we go to heaven. And then the seasons are perfect, right? You know, are we going to trust or are we going to control? And then last week, how do we as followers of Jesus Christ work in this world, right? How do we engage in this world? Because it is competitive and it is difficult and there's challenges. And there's three different ways that Solomon said we do it. One is that we fold our hands, that we just kind of give up hope and we just sit there and we become passive and we just fold our hands. And we just say, there's nothing that I can do about it. You know, there's not any hope in this. The other one is what I did for many years. I've been here at Sunrise Church for about 20 years now, total, with James and with you guys. And you guys kind of grew me up. I served here for six or seven years and got hired as a pastor. But I tried to grab life with both hands at the beginning, right? And I literally sold my soul. That's what the Bible says when we chase this, when we grab it with both hands, we sell our soul. And what's important, a relationship with God and your family, I put to the side. And I'm glad that you guys helped me through that and God helped me through. The Bible says in Ecclesiastes, we're to live with one hand, right? One hand, one handful's enough. God says that he provides everything that we need if we follow him. He'll give us the food that we need. He'll give us the place that we need. But it also says in the other hand, we can have peace and we can have contentment and we can have joy, and we can truly be satisfied. So that's what we looked at. Lene's taking us into this beautiful three verses that are about the benefits of relationship. We've been he- hearing about what it's like to be out there and lamenting, and we've been grieving, and it's a tough road, but now we get to see the benefits of it. And so let's pray together. Lord, to come before you, and, and we just uh, invite you in right now. Lord, many of us are in seasons right now, and and they're difficult ones, and and you tell us that the wind's going to blow, and storms are going to come, and there's going to be just hard stuff, but if we build our house on the rock, uh, that we can stand there through it all, and that's what you're saying. Many of us have built our house on the sand, Lord, and and all of us are included. We chase what we think will satisfy, and it never does, and so we want to come to you in a way today, Lord, because you're going to tell us really in the midst of all these seasons we're in, we need you, and we need each other. May we hear it in a way we haven't. You tell us that every eye sees stuff that can never satisfy. You tell us that our ears hear things that we think will bring us contentment, but it doesn't. We want to listen to your voice today. We want to listen to your spirit. You tell us that your word is active and alive, and it pierces, and it reveals, and it renews us and refreshes us. And we want all that more today. In Jesus' name, amen.
1: Well, hello there. Well, as he said, my name's Lene Carver and I'm usually in that groups area and I know a lot of you because I greet you a lot on the way in. But um, they've had me up here to do announcements before, and they're letting me talk a little longer. And I'm like, what were they thinking? You know, (laughs) are they going to, they're going to be like, no, let's never do that again. But, so it's fun to be up here. Um, Thanks for having me. And we are just going to unpack Ecclesiastes 4, 9 through 12. So let's go ahead and bring it up. And I'm just going to read the whole verse out loud, and then we'll sort of take it bit by bit and, and unpack it a little bit more. for a triple-braided cord is not easily broken. So let's head to the next slide. So we're just going to dig into this a little bit. Um, what we just read, two are better than one, and someone who falls alone is in real trouble. So as I was preparing, I'm like, okay, God, what do you want me to share? And I just wanted to look at other scriptures that backed this up. And God brought me to Genesis. So let's look at Genesis 1:26. So, the next slide will take us to the Genesis verses. It says, Then God said, Let us, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, make man in our image according to our likeness. So, if we look at the underline, let's pick out a couple of these words. Then God said, Let us us, meaning a triune God, not just God, him, it says us, make mankind in our image. So once again, that is showing that God is a relational being. Make mankind in our image and in our likeness. And then we go down a little further and it says, so God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. He didn't just create him. He did create him. He created Adam, but he created them. He is a triune God. He is a relational God. We were created by a relational God for relationships. And the scripture backs that up and shows that to us, that he created them. Male and female, he created them. Also, the really cool part about this is he created us male and female, and we are different, We have a lot of differences in the way that we relate. But each of us, men show one aspect of how God is relationally, and we show another aspect of how God is relationally. And together, we help show a more complete picture of the relational God that He is. So God's plan is for us to be in relationship, in community with each other, just like God is in relationship as a triune God with himself. So one thing to note here is that the Trinity is the only small group ever that has gotten along really well for a really, really long time. So our small groups, our community, we're human, we're going to fail each other. We're going to hurt one another because we're human. So that's just an interesting note there, that God, he himself, is the first small group, the Trinity. So let's go ahead and move on, and let's peek at another verse. Genesis two eighteen says the Lord God said, it is not good for man to be alone. So once again, there's another scripture that tells you it's not good for you to isolate and be alone. We are made for community. So it's not good for man to be alone. I will make a helper suitable for him. We were created by a relational God. We were created for relationships. Let's head to the next part. So two people are better off than one, for they can help each other succeed. If one person falls, the other can reach out and help, but someone who falls alone is in real trouble. So I just want to share a little personal story about the power of groups. So I sort of um, started to see the power of groups before I even came back to Christ. So for me, I was raised... In a Christian home. My mother took us to church. I had a grandfather that was a pastor, an Assembly of God pastor. And I specifically remember in, it was either fifth or sixth grade, I think I went to summer camp two summers in a row. I remember giving my life to Christ then. I am pretty sure I gave my life to Christ in children's church. I love children's church. However, I really remember giving my life to Christ that summer at summer camp and getting baptized in a little pool at the base of a little waterfall. It was really cold in Northern California. And so... I knew what I was doing. I gave my life to Christ. And then, as it happens with most of us, you know, my world just fell apart. Life happened. And it was then that my parents got divorced. There was a ton of dysfunction, um, just a lot of trauma, a lot of addiction in my family. And for years, I just went my own way. Now, my husband, he was a pastor's kid as well and he had said to me multiple times that religion was shoved down my throat for years and I'll never let that happen again so he didn't want anything to do with church so we just went our own way for quite a few years and when our girls were 5 and 7 i started going back to church and i recommitted my life to christ and i took the girls to church with me and we went every sunday since then but a year or so before that, God really brought me into sort of my career path of choice. Um, he brought me into fitness and wellness. And because I had seen so much addiction, and one of the main coping mechanisms and addictions in my family was food. So for me, fitness and wellness, was it, it made perfect sense. My dad had other addictions, you know, heroin, all kinds of stuff. However... I learned the power of groups because I started in fitness and I started teaching group fitness and I started getting all these certifications and education and they kept showing me over and over all the scientific facts that people who came to a club were more consistent if they plugged into a small group exercise class. They were more consistent, they held their membership for longer, and they stayed, and they got results from their exercise program if they went to group classes as compared to working out alone. So I just saw the power in groups. I started taking classes. I loved it. I was very motivated, and it just really showed me the power of groups. Right after that, I recommitted my life to Christ and I went back to church. And of course, I just plugged into groups. I started to plug into groups. And literally, I have been in groups ever since then one to three groups almost at all times. And it has really helped to grow me as a Christian, to teach me to dig into the Word of God, and to have other people speak into my life where, wow, You know, they share, that is how that scripture resonates with me. And I'm like, oh my goodness, I never thought of it that way. Sharing that community... And sharpening one another and equipping one another is so powerful and so important. So I just really resonate with the power of groups. I believe in it, and in my own life, it's made a big difference. And I've had lots of different doorways. I've had small groups. I've had one-on-one mentorship roles with women who have come alongside me. So it takes more than just one avenue. So let's head to the next part. Likewise, two people lying close together can keep each other warm. But how can one be warm alone? So I just want to take just that one verse. So, you know, we're going camping maybe. Hopefully you're going with us. And whenever you go camping, at night you have to break down your campfire, right? It's safe. That's safety. I hope you do that. So what you do is you take all those logs that are bundled together, and the first thing you do, you do what? You spread them apart. As you take those logs and roll them out to the outside edge of that fire ring, you know that that one log all alone is gonna cool down much quicker than if you left them bundled together. If you left your fire and all those logs stacked together, they could burn halfway through the night. They may, depending on how big your fire is, there might possibly be warm embers still by morning. But as you roll them apart they die out much more quickly because they don't have the heat and the encouragement of one another. The same is true for us for relationships. Remember, we were created by a relational God for relationships, and we help equip and encourage one another. We are cheerleaders. We help to build each other up, and we need that. A person standing alone can be attacked and defeated, but two can stand back to back and conquer. And three are even better for a triple braided cord is not easily broken. So let's head to the next slide. And this is once again talking about the power of community. And I wanted to grab another verse. Let's look at 1 Peter 5.8. It says, be sober, well-balanced, and self-disciplined be alert and cautious at all times. The enemy of yours, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, fiercely hungry, seeking someone to devour. I mean, and that's powerful. He is. This is spiritual battle, and he is seeking us to destroy us. So I'd like you to think about a herd of gazelles, okay, and they 're there, and they 're all just eating and they 're just having a good time, and then all of a sudden, one peer perks up, they hear something. Now, some of them are out here, and maybe this one out here on this outside edge is doing whatever, maybe they're checking their Twitter, right? And the whole herd bolts. But it got a couple seconds late start because it was worrying about the Twitter or maybe it was just really eating something really good. So it took off a little late. So when those lions come to attack, who is it going to get? It's going to get those ones that were on the outskirts, okay? The one that bolted a little late so it was a little slower. Sometimes it's the ones that are weaker. The youngest ones, younger in their faith, youngest, weaker, older, whatever it is, those outside, that's who's going to get attacked and dragged off, and the lion is always out there waiting for us. So I want you to think about this, because as I was preparing this, God just really showed me that here we are as a church family, and honestly, truly, those gazelles that are on the outside edge of that herd, that is like us, if all we ever do is come to church on Sundays. We are that outside. We're just right here. We may say, yeah, I go to church every Sunday. Sunrise is my church. But honestly, we all know how it is, right? We have busy schedules. We have a birthday party one Sunday, and then the other Sunday we're out of town. So really, truly, it's what? Maybe three times a month or twice a month that we're here. Real relationships are hard to develop when that's all we have. So this outside edge is just coming to church. Then the next step, a little safer, is in here, and that's where we start to serve and we start to plug in. And believe me, I love serving, I love plugging in. I served for seven years in youth ministry, and I made some great friendships during that time. But some of the serving is a little harder to get relational. With the youth group, we got pretty relational because we did lots of overnighters and we did all kinds of fun stuff like that. If you if you ever want to be a part of a great ministry, be a part of youth. I love it. Um, but some of them say you're a Parker. It's really hard sometimes if that's how you're serving. You're doing a job too, so you're a little busy. So sometimes you can't get those real depth to your relationships. You don't get to ask the person how are you doing. How is God working in your life? How can I help you? What are your struggles? Because we all have them. So our groups is where that can really happen. That's where we dig into the word of God together and have that word of God refine us and we become more like Christ. So I really believe that... In order to be safe, we need to be in the very center of that herd. We need to be in small group. We need to be serving. We want to be very cautious about being on those outside edges because those are the gazelles that are going to get um, eaten. And that's what Satan does. He likes to isolate us. And he likes to take us and isolate us and pull us away from our church family because that's where he has power over us. So let's look at the next slide. So three or even better for a triple-braided cord is not easily broken. So that's just community, our community here, our church community. And I just want to share a little bit, um, a little story about how the church community um, has helped me out and what it's meant to me and how um, it's benefited me. And I hope it inspires you, Um, I have been a a member, you know, I've been a part of Sunrise Community. I think it's been about 11 years now. Yeah, about 11 years. And four, a little over four years ago, my husband passed away from cancer. And at that time, I had no family in town. So it was just my husband and I and and us two girls. I didn't have any family members. So really, truly, truly, Sunrise Church, that was my family. That was my community. Without them, I had nothing, and of course, you know, that it's just, it's really hard to lose a husband. He was only 50, so that's just young, and I know that a lot of you out there have experienced similar things. And it's just really hard to walk through things like that. And I don't know what I would have done without my church family. Really, truly, I don't know what I would have done. And there were multiple times when I'm in the midst of a huge wave of grief and just wrecked that I'm like, how do people do this alone? I just, I have no idea... I had such a great support system, and my heart just goes out because I know there are many of you sitting out there today that you've been through things like that, and you were alone. And I've got to say that the church community helped in so many different ways. For one thing, they helped in tangible ways. They did meal trains. They they brought me food, which I still love your peanut peanut sauce, Nancy Boycourt, and your your rolls, spring rolls. I want them again, but I don't want to go through what I went through to get them, so just bring them over. So, tangible ways. I've had so many people help me out with replacing doors, replacing locks. There are a lot of things that I just wasn't good at, anything mechanical, construction-wise, and when my husband passed, that left a big hole, and I've had so many people in the church community help me out in real tangible ways, yard work, all kinds of stuff, needs that, that I have. But one of the things that really made a huge difference was the relational ways. I had a large group of people that would pour into me, that loved on me, that I could cry on their shoulder, that could ask me the hard questions I didn't just have surface relationships, I had a lot of real depth relationships. And my girls did too. I mean, honestly, it just it brings me to tears thinking about all the people that came and sat in the waiting room with my girl because the other one was in college when my husband was passing. He was in the hospital for 5 days. And I had so many people come and sit, and it was just awesome. So not just me, but my girls had relationships with people that they could talk to and process with, and it's incredible. We need that. We were created for that, and we have to have it. So the Sunrise Church community really just poured into my family in a way that is unexplainable, that I had to have. And so many different opportunities like that. The Sunrise Church has has done things, and I was thinking last night about the different ways, and one of them is my, um, my, my in-laws came to town when my oldest daughter got married um, a little bit ago, and when my oldest daughter got married on the day of her wedding, my mother-in-law fell and broke her hip. She didn't make it to the wedding, and the church community once again just came alongside me. And for one thing, I had my mother-in-law and my father-in-law in in town for five weeks at my house because they couldn't fly because of meds and stuff with the broken hip and surgeries. And uh, family members, you know, they loaned us a car so my father-in-law could drive back and forth from the hospital and the rehab center. And then Barb Johnson went over and met with my mother-in-law, and she didn't even tell me she was going. I heard from my mother-in-law, oh, I had a visitor today. She brought me these really cozy, cuddly blankets from Costco, and I'm like, what? What are you talking about? Yeah, Barb Johnson came over, and I'm like, what? Hello, I want to be there, you know? you got blankets? So, I mean, it's just people come around. So, so many tangible ways that people have poured into my life. And I, I just thank you all for that, for being a part of my journey with me. And we do that for one another, and we need that. We all do. So let's take it to the next slide. So this one, I'm going to sort of block it here, but I guess you see it up there. Um, doesn't really work. So I've I was preparing for this message, and I saw this on instagram and When I saw it, I read it, and I had to think about it for a minute, and then I read it again, and it just it just hit me, it sort of pierced me because I am sort of experiencing this in a new way that I never have before. Um, it also struck me who it was by. Um, And we've been talking about Ecclesiastes, and James has been walking us through and really showing us that Solomon tried this, okay? The writer of of Ecclesiastes tried hedonism, that it's all about um, pleasures in life. And he found, once again, that it was like grasping the wind, that it was all meaningless. So I thought it was interesting that that's who wrote this, but let's just read this. It says, loneliness is dangerous it's addicting. Once you see how peaceful it is, you don't want to deal with people. So for me, I, I had not really been lonely, really lonely ever before, because remember, I met my husband when I was 16. I married him when I was 18. I went from a family of six, my family of origin, to creating my own family, four, and I always had people around. But when my husband passed, My oldest daughter was a sophomore in college, and my youngest daughter was a senior in high school. So I experienced empty nest in a new way um, than I ever had before. And it is, it's a little addictive, loneliness is. When I hear the word addiction, I think of the big addictions because my dad and family members have struggled with heroin and meth and alcohol and food. Um, but you know, heroin, meth, there's a high, high, but there's this underside, this ugly belly underneath. But loneliness is like that. It can be a little addictive because it's self-centered. You get what you want when you want. It's all about you, right? But there's this underside to loneliness that it's devastating. We're not created to be alone. So, I've experienced this in a new way, and I think that we're living in a time where it's very easy to think you have relationships with social media. You know, we plug in, we we do a few likes, we respond, we text people, and we're like, okay, that's enough. Now I can isolate again. And we have a tendency to isolate more and more because of social media, I think. And I I think it's really a dangerous thing. I found myself personally lately having some of these struggles um, because it takes time, energy, and effort to reach out to people and to plan things. And sometimes you're just so tired that it's hard work if you don't have that built in when you still have children in your home, you have that built in. <laughs> They're always there. They'll always go someplace with you. They're always on board for an adventure or whatever, or you can tell them to go to their room. But at some point, right, that, that goes away. So th- this was just an interesting thing that I think we really need to think about nowadays. So next... That's just a little bit about that Solomon and Ecclesiastes, what James has been pointing out to us. We see that in our society more and more, that just the pleasure. Remember, though, that relationships are hard work. We are wounded in relationships, but we can only be healed in relationships as well. So let's head to what's next. So I'm reading a book by Dr. Larry Crabb, And I love this saying. I really believe that it sums things up really well. Spiritual maturity, is effectiveness in ministry the best measure of maturity, or is connection in community? A kind of connection that at least dimly reveals the relational life of the Trinity, a more reliable indicator that Christ is being formed in us. So next slide. I believe that connection in community is a better indicator if Christ is being formed in us. First, it's our relationship with Christ. We've got to let Christ fill us up so that we can pour out and share with others around us. But remember, it says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And the second is this, to love your neighbor as yourself. There are two together. We have to do both. And Real depth, real relationships take some work. And that is a great indicator if Christ is being formed in us. Every single one of us were sent on a mission by Christ. He said, go and make disciples who make disciples. That only happens in relationships. So my challenge for you is to take a look at that. Are you known? Are you doing the hard work that it takes sometimes to be known, to be real, to risk it, to be vulnerable? or are you isolating? We have a lot of groups for you to plug into. We have divorce care, grief share, all kinds of community groups, but very topical real-life struggles that we're going through as well. So plug in. We also have a singles group. They're having a barbecue right after, not a barbecue, just a potluck, 1245. So we have all kinds of opportunities. Plug into those, and I challenge you as you look at Um, our connection in community with Pastor Kevin as we talk about communion. Think about where you are with your connection in the body of Christ because all of us have a part to play, and every single part is necessary. So thanks. Thanks,
0: (laughs) Lene. No notes. I, I, I I can't even remember my name. That was, thank you. Isn't it beautiful to hear about community from men and women? You know, we say it one way, and so, Lene, that was beautiful. I want to talk about communion, because communion is about community, and it's about relationship, and it's about exactly what we're talking about here, and we do it often, but I just want to go over it and let it sink in a little bit, and then we're going to have a response time, and we're going to have some folks up here. We want to pray for you. I can tell a lot's going on. When we talk about community, it gets in our soul, doesn't it? And So, some of you may need to make a commitment or you're struggling in a community or relationship. We want to pray for you. Just come up as we respond uh, during the worship song. So, communion is about relationship. We see in the early church, it it was one of the key things that they devoted themselves to, the word and prayer. But they also devoted themselves to the Lord's Supper. And so, communion is called a a number of different things based on your background or experiences. We come from different. um, There's about. We did a Connect class, and there was about 16 different churches that people had come from. But I want to talk about communion that we do here and why we do it. And, and it's called the breaking of the bread. It's called the Lord's Supper. It's called Holy Communion. We just call it communion. But it is about relationship. And we're remembering what Christ did for us, right? It's about remembering. He tells, he tells us, do this remember it's of me. This is my body that I gave for you. And he did give it. This is my blood that was poured out for you, this perfect blood that forgives you you know, past, present, and future, and sal- provide salvation and forgiveness for your sins. And he says, do this and remember it to me. So when we take communion, it's about remembering Jesus Christ's life and his burial and his resurrection and his ascension, that he sits at the right hand of God right now, and that he's going to return, right? That's our hope. And so when we do that, that we reflect on it. Uh, we rejoice in that salvation, but I always when I take communion, I always want to return, right? I want to return to that. So I don't know where you're at today, but you can certainly return. And then it talks about during communion that we take time to examine ourselves. One of my favorite Psalms 26, two and three is that uh, that God is going to cross-examine us because God's a judge, right? And that we stand before him in a sense stripped down and he tests right now. When we examine ourselves, you know, it's about not, outward it's inward it's about you examining your heart and it says that we can stand before him and he can test our hearts and he can test our motives a lot of examination is you know have we hurt someone we have to be willing to go and make it right so communion is a real time we're going to give you plenty of time to examine your heart today plenty of time to do a response and then we're proclaiming God's right that he's coming back it's a statement of faith I love this Uh, In observing communion, we're proclaiming his death until he comes. It is in a statement of faith. When we take communion together, it is a statement of faith that we believe in Jesus Christ, but also it's a statement of faith that we belong together. We're a body, we're a family, so communion is highly relational. It is in a statement of faith where whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. And then it's a way that we show our participation with Christ and with each other. I love this verse. It is not the cup of thanksgiving for which we give thanks, a participation in the blood of Christ. And it is not the bread that we break, a participation in the body of Christ. Man, I, I chunked that out. But it's the bottom line is it's about our participation with Jesus, and we're a family, and we need each other, and we belong together. Because there's one loaf, we who are many are one body, for we all partake of one loaf. So we're going to do that today. We're going to have some songs, but we want you to take some time to examine yourself, right? That's how it starts. I'm going to do it. I need to examine myself. There's a couple that... Man, I want to reach out to them. They won't let me right now, but I'm going to pray that whatever I need to do that I'll have the courage to do because I want to be right with them. I want to be right with Jesus. This is what this is about, getting right with each other and with Jesus and examining ourselves, And and then to remember to re- rejoice and to reflect and to remember, right? That if you don't know Jesus, man, we're waiting for you. We want to participate in that. But those of us that belong to Jesus Christ, take communion and we remember his sacrifice and we remember that he took on all our sin and he took on all our pain and he brought a hope that we can't have on our own. Ecclesiastes has shown us that. It doesn't matter what we reach out for, it never brings satisfaction. So Jesus says, just remember me. Do this and remember it to me. Let me pray. Lord, our hearts are soft and our hearts are open because we're like Solomon. We may not have all the money, we may not have all the wisdom, but we have his heart. And some of us are reaching out for things that we think are going to satisfy, whether it's pleasure or wealth or relationships or wisdom or knowledge or a a position or a house. And none of it ever satisfies because you made us in your image. And the only thing that can satisfy is trusting you and surrendering to you and inviting you in. So we do that right now. During these three songs, we invite you in. We examine our hearts. We're going to confess And then those of us, Lord, that need prayer, we'll have some people up here, Lord. Let it be a time where we just return to you. That's all you ever want. Because when we wander away and we come to our senses, we want to return to you. And you're waiting for us, Lord. So right now, you're waiting for every single person. May we come to you in a new way.
1: In Jesus' name, amen.